So something that I've really fallen in love with over the past few years is uh, the formation of narratives, right? I really love to see how stories and narratives come together. And if we're thinking about, you know, narratives and stories, I think we have to admit that we kind of live in like a golden age of narratives, right? I, I mean, before, people were only exposed to stories through books, right? But now after the revolution of technology, not only do we have books, but we also have uh, movies and TV shows of all different genres of narratives, right? Uh, there's also narratives in sports. Uh, recently, we just witnessed the narrative of the Chicago Cubs, the 2016 World Series champion, that they finally ended their 108-year drought of the curse of the billy goat, okay? And more recently, and probably to much more pleasure, we just finished uh, the political election narrative of 2016, right? Um, it's just interesting to see how you know, news channels and news anchors will grab a hold of certain candidates and they shape their narratives for better or for worse. And you know, the election, it also tells the narrative of the American people. It, it says what are the American people longing for or desiring most in their future. Simply put, narratives are everywhere. There was a Russian author by the name of Isaac Babel who once said that a well-crafted story does not need to resemble real life, but real life itself tries with all its might to resemble a well-crafted story. Just anywhere we go, somebody, somehow, some way, is trying to construct a narrative. My wife and I recently watched Dancing with the Stars, um, and in case you were wondering, it was her choice. Uh, <laughs> But if, you, if you've seen the show, you realize that they don't just want to tie you into the dancing competition, right? They want to draw you into the, the contestants themselves. And with each contestant, there's a certain quality or characteristic that really grabs the audience towards them. So with that, I want to shape the narrative of this sermon and kind of ask you guys all a question. When we consider the Bible and who we are as Christians, What's the quality or characteristic that really sets us apart from people of other faiths? What makes the Christian narrative distinct from other narratives? Uh, if you're like me, probably a lot of words and just a lot of things jump through your head when you think of a question like that. Uh, probably some of you are thinking of the word community, right? Maybe community. Community is what sets Christians apart. And that's not a bad word to choose. I mean, it's clear in the Bible that, you know, Christians should have a strong and caring community. But if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we can look at other faiths like Hindu and Buddhist, uh, Muslim, and even atheists that have strong and supportive communities. And if we're being really honest with ourselves, I think we can admit that there's a lot of communities of other faiths that act more Christian toward each other than some Christian communities. So if we're trying to, you know, show what's so wonderfully unique about Christianity, I'm not sure if community is the best way to do it. Okay, what about love? Right? I mean, love seems to make a lot of sense. You know, we're Christians. Just think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or perhaps you're thinking of the traditional hymn, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And love is a beautiful word. It's, it's not wrong. But is it really the absolute thing that distincts Christians. Okay, uh, Buddha and Gandhi, they said so many things about the importance of loving your neighbor. 
many Muslims will likely tell you that at the heart of their doctrine is love and peace. And even atheists, people who do not believe in God, they see the vital importance of love and, in society. So it, if it's what distincts us, I'm not sure if even love's going to do it. You know, there's a certain quality that, that really comes to mind, though. It shows how wonderfully different Christians are than other faiths. And the quality I'm thinking of is thankfulness. Thanking God, giving thanks. This is really what authentic Christianity is all about. You know, saying thank you or giving thanks, it, it's something so common in our society and in a day-to-day basis, we really don't think about what lies behind that, right? What motivates us to say that? And if we think about Christian thankfulness, it's, I mean, it's, it's truly an amazing thing. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is an English theologian, uh, is a very, very prominent, very smart guy, he once said that, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Okay, so let's think about it. Like, what are the times on a weekly basis we use the word thank you? Uh, if you guys are like me and not a morning person, probably you get up on Monday morning, you run at, <coughs> excuse me, Starbucks or your local coffee shop, and you get a cup of coffee. Likely, you're going to thank your barista for making you that coffee. Often, I'll be in class with my classmates, and at the end of our session, we will thank our professors for teaching us that day. See, you know, thankfulness, it's something passive in nature, right? We say it after we've received something. But there's a huge difference between thanking people and thanking God. And we should thank people, and it's very kind and courteous to do. But, you know, like I mentioned before, if you're thanking someone for making you a cup of coffee, do you really need that coffee, or could you really just make a cup of coffee yourself? Or I talked about how my classmates and I, we will thank our professors, but if we really wanted to, couldn't we just read books and research and try to teach ourselves? Um, See, when we thank people, we're often thanking them for something we could do but choose not to. But when we're thanking God, I mean, we're thanking him for doing something only he could accomplish. You know, I mean, for starters, God creates us. Not only did he create us, but he still provides for us. And not only that, I mean, We've done nothing to earn any of this. Martin Luther wrote in his small catechism that God richly and daily gives us all that we need to support this body and life. He does this out of his fatherly, divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. To this I owe it to thank him. I mean, God creates us, he provides for us, but there's, there's still a lot more there. You know, we talked about narratives before. Oftentimes, the bulk of narratives is spent leading up to the climax of the story. And if we look at the Bible as the story of salvation, the immediate moments leading up to the climax are anything but pretty, right? I mean, those, those moments involve uh, three nails, uh, a crown of thorns, a cross, and the sins of the entire earth being placed on one man, Jesus Christ, who was also the only man to have never sinned. Uh, but the beauty in this narrative is that that is not the climax of the story. No, uh, the climax of that story occurs three days later when he rises from the dead and destroys the curse of death and evil and sorrow.
How are you going to respond to that? Two words. Thank you. See, other, other faiths and other religions will teach us that, that the stuff that we do, you know, the good works that we do or, you know, whatever we, how we try to live, that's going to determine if we're going to go to heaven or if we're going to have a good life, good things happen to us, whatever. But the Bible teaches that through Jesus Christ, God has saved us because of his love for us. And all we can say is thank you. One of the most well-known Christian stories, many of you guys likely know it, is the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And just to summarize quickly, uh, there's, there's two sons in that story. There's a younger son and there's an older son. Uh, the younger son, before his father passes away, he takes his father's inheritance and he spends that money on uh, parties and prostitutes and he ends up broke and alone. And then he gets this idea, you know what, maybe I'll return home to my father and work as a slave, because at least then I'll be fed, I'll be sheltered. It's not a glamorous life, but, you know, it, it's, it's what I deserve, if even that. And as he returns home to his father, his father runs to him, embraces him, and hosts a feast, and has his younger rebellious son as an honored guest. But those of us who know the story know it's not over yet, right? There's, there's still another son, there's the older son. And the older son's actions are just anything but Christian. He refuses to go to his father's feast, and he makes his father leave the feast to come talk to him. Now, there's just infinite messages that we can learn from this parable, but I think one is this. Uh, what, what, really, what distincts these two sons? Sitting at his father's feast as an honored guest, knowing that he has only rebelled and acted evil toward his father. I mean, this younger son, he must have been thankful beyond belief, Right? But what about the older son? His actions show that he was not thankful at all. He wasn't thankful that his brother returned home to him and his family, nor was he thankful of how his father has always provided for him. See, one of the many lessons that Jesus teaches us through this parable is that at the heart of authentic Christianity is the heart of thankfulness. Let's just imagine how much more joyful and what a witness we'd be if we began every day in the peace and the quiet and just said, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me a gift I did not earn and I do not deserve. Um, even though I rebel against you and act like I don't want you in my life, you drag me back to you. Your love is more powerful than any sin I could ever commit. Thank you. You know, Paul teaches us in his epistles uh, to give thanks in all circumstances. So, whatever the narrative of our life is, whether we're going through uh, good times or bad, uh, no matter who our president is, no matter what has haunted us in the past or what's going to scar us going forward, we can always give thanks. We can give thanks because we've received a gift we didn't earn, and thankful because God's love is more powerful than anything we will ever know. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as cliche a saying as it is, uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow, but truly, uh, let every day be Thanksgiving, God. We have, material-wise, we have so much to be thankful for here, but 
more so spiritual God. You have blessed us with the gift of eternal paradise awaiting us when we leave this world, God. Uh, Bless us in our lives. Help us to be thankful and gracious in all we do, God, reflecting your love and your grace, which you first showed us. It's in your holy and precious Son we pray. Amen.